Don't we all wish we could have those open and honest conversations with our friends and family to be able to ask a question without being overly terrified of what the answer might be? Well, that's what the Onus podcast is for. We are here to bring on individuals each week to talk about their pregnancy experience, talk about their yeah pregnancy, labor, birth, and postpartum, and be completely open and honest about those taboo topics that we have been told are shameful to talk about. We'll also be bringing on providers from the Onus Collaborative website. These people will range from midwives to doulas, speech language pathologists, lactation care providers, and they're going to talk about who they are as individuals individuals, who they are as providers, and why they got into the work that they did, and what they might be able to help you figure out what's going on for you. So yeah, we're excited to have you. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Onus Podcast. I am your host, Erin, and I hope you've all been having a really good week. Things have been pretty good over here. It's Friday, so I'm happy. Today, we have Victoria on with us. She is also known as Femhead. She runs a YouTube account, she has a blog, and she also has her own business teaching the symptothermal method. So today, we're going to be talking about a little bit about her business. We're also going to be talking about her pregnancy and postpartum experience with her son, Theo, Uh, issues with identity and trying to balance motherhood and in the middle of the podcast we will actually talk a little bit more about um, her experience with miscarriage so that's a very touchy topic for some people and if you're not comfortable with that please feel free to skip this section and yeah we hope you all enjoy yeah yeah so I created chart your cycle back in 2016 it was my first course I actually ever created Um, because I just wanted to have a very simple introductory course into FAM, into charting your cycle, because when I was going through that experience of learning how to chart it myself and trying to find a course, I just couldn't find any around me, and I I probably didn't look too deeply online because I know they exist, Um, so I ended up taking one through the Catholic Church, which it was a great experience, Um, but it was very, you know, centered around religion as well. And so I wanted to create like an easily accessible course for people that are interested in it. um, That isn't overwhelming amount of information because when you first kind of get into the world of fam and charting, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much. And how did I not know this? So yeah, I created that as just a way for kind of like give people what they needed to know to get started, but not overwhelm them with all the information out there. Yeah, because actually, um, when I first created, you inspired me to create my account, <laughs> but then I actually ended up meeting <laughs> other people, like, within my community that were like, oh, I started tracking because of Femhead, like, Victoria, and so, oh. <laughs> that's crazy, there's so many of us, and I that's remember, wild to hear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember it was like, okay, she recommended taking charge of your fertility, so I went and bought that book, but sometimes, mm-hmm like learning it from book I think some people probably learn it really really well but I didn't so I actually ended up taking your course and now it's so much easier for me to track my goal yeah it's been amazing like I was like wait that was so easy I should have just done that in the first place (laughs) I mean I think taking charge of your fertility is a great resource to have like even I will look back at it like if I have some just random question or obscure thought I'll look at it but some people are very like, I learn through books, but I'm also a very visual person. And I know some people like to like have someone else talk them through it as well, or just have someone 
that's there, even if it's on the other side of a screen to reach out to, if they're like, this makes absolutely no sense. Can you look at my chart? So I kind of wanted the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I love that you have a lot of visual components. I also really like that you had the, um, like the practice charts so you could actually like, oh yeah that helped a lot because I was like I don't understand this cover line like I couldn't get the cover line for ages mm -hmm. I finally yeah I actually didn't have that in the first like rendition of chart your cycle it was something I added after like a year or two mm -hmm. um because I think a lot of people learn through practice and if you're trying to learn through charting your own cycle I mean you have to wait months and months to accumulate that like data and information to figure it out yourself um rather than just like oh here's four problems draw the cover line and it, i think it helps um cement the information a bit better yeah it definitely does i also appreciate that you did it in celsius and fahrenheit so thank you <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. well i mean we're we're the oddballs over here that do everything in fahrenheit so yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> And so when, when did you actually start charting your cycle? When was that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it was, why am I blanking? 2013 um, is when I went off hormonal birth control, discovered FAM and started charting my cycle. And I was very lucky because I, I mean, I had only been on the pill for four years, but right after I quit, my cycle came back right away and was super regular and really easy to chart. I know that's not the case with everyone. Um, but yeah, it was 2013 was the year. Okay. So you've been charting, I don't know. I can't do the math in my head, but for a long time, which is really cool as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel like a long time, but it's just, I mean, it's second nature now. <laughs> yeah. You're used to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, now you have a son named Theo. Mm-hmm, I do. He's outside with dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, do you think that charting your cycle helped with um, getting pregnant? Um, I think knowing how the reproductive system work, worked was very helpful, um, but I definitely had this naive misconception that because I knew how to chart my cycle and because I knew when to try to conceive that I would get pregnant right away. Like we fully expected that I would get pregnant the first month we tried. And so for my period to come and it not happen was, we were like, whoa, that's weird. And then three months had passed and it, it really opened my eyes to, you know, a whole nother world of reality where it's actually not that easy <laughs> to get pregnant. Like for some people, it is very easy and it, um, it's a one-time thing, but for some people it's months and months or years and years of trying. Um, but I do think knowing about my cycle and knowing what was normal and that I did have a regular cycle and that, you know, cervical fluid was so important in, in the role of conception. And so I could, that gave me something to do like, oh, I can work on, you know, producing more fertile cervical fluid. So I think that knowledge definitely did help me. Um, but it definitely gave me like a false sense of I'm going to get pregnant right away, <laughs> which isn't true. Yeah. Yeah, I also wanted to ask uh, if, because I remember one of your YouTube videos, you had experienced a miscarriage, and I wanted to mm -hmm. ask about your experience with that and what what it was like going through that and the healing process afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I never, like, miscarriage never crossed my mind. Um, I have, my best friend 
was pregnant, I think the year before um, we were trying and I got pregnant. Um, and I remember her saying, oh, it's such a relief that I'm out of my first trimester now. Like I was so anxious about miscarrying. And I was like, whoa, wait, like people, people have to worry about that because like in where I was at in the process, like all I was thinking about was just getting pregnant. And once I was pregnant, it was all going to be fine. Um, but it, it happened in like a good way out of <laughs> as miscarriages go um, because we had just told some family um, that we were pregnant and um, one of our family members was you know like sharing her experience and I can't remember how it came up but she shared that she had a blighted ovum at some point between her children um, and so I'd never heard of a blighted ovum before and that's actually what I went through so as soon as we, we you know, we went to the midwife and um, I, they didn't check for the heartbeat or anything because it was too early on, but she was like, oh, do you want to have an ultrasound? It was like a, an afterthought as we were like leaving the office and we're like, sure, let's see our baby. And I knew right away, like that, that's not what the ultrasound was supposed to look like, that like there's supposed to be something there, but I could see the sac and I knew right away that it was a blighted ovum and it was literally just days before that she had shared that experience so it it was almost comforting that I knew what was going on but it also was you know pretty devastating um so we were I think five months into trying at that point um and I remember you know getting the options of like this is how you can get back to square one to try again and in my mind it was very helpful that there was no fetus, there was no baby. So it was just like, okay, let's clear my uterus out and like get back to trying. Um, but that actually took several weeks to, you know, go through that process. And then um, once it was all said and done, it was like, okay, try not to get pregnant until you get your next real period. Um, and thankfully, my cycle is amazing. And I got my like first real period four years after, I mean, four years, four months after that, four weeks after that, goodness, Victoria, four <laughs> weeks after my miscarriage. Um, and then once again, they were just regular and normal. And then I think it was another four months of trying before we conceived Theo. And so because of that experience, I had a lot of anxiety in the first like two months of my pregnancy with him because I was just, you know, sure that was going to happen again or like, you know, something was going to go wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I just had so, so much anxiety. Um, and so I, they scheduled me in for an early ultrasound, but then the technician was like, well, you know, I'll be surprised if I can see anything beyond just like the gestational sac. And I immediately was like, I don't want to do it. Like if, if there's any, you know, any chance that something you can't see it and to have that fear again of like, well, it could be there, but it could not be there. So we rescheduled it for a few weeks later and went in and, he was there and everything was okay. So um, that was definitely like a comforting thing. But it was interesting because for most people, like the positive pregnancy test is the start, like that's their their marker for pregnancy. But for my for me after that miscarriage, it was like, okay, yeah, I got a positive pregnancy test, but like I'm not gonna believe it until I hit these next marks. Um, but thankfully after that, like it was a very easy pregnancy and there wasn't like any worries or concerns after I got through that like period of anxiety. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry that you went through that experience. Um. You know, I, no, I think, it, I think it's okay because 
of like what I do, I think it gives me a perspective and it has like allowed me to have empathy for what other people go through. Like, I'm happy that it took us, you know, as long as it did to conceive. And I'm happy that I, you know, got to experience a miscarriage because those are such common experiences for people. And to have people then like write me on Instagram and say like, oh my gosh, like I just miscarried. And like, I like, how do I get through this? To be able to like come from a place of experience and like share, like you're gonna get through it. Like, and just share my experience and like share the emotions, not be like, oh, that was terrible. Like everything's gonna be all right and it's gonna work out. But to be like, no, like you're gonna be heartbroken and let yourself grieve. So to be able to like share that experience has been a very beneficial thing for like my position, I guess. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Cause um, I think that you also got a lot of feedback on that YouTube video. And it's one of the reasons I wanted you to talk about it. Cause I am kind of realizing that miscarriage, like I haven't had any children yet, but I've realized that mm -hmm. miscarriage is a lot more common than we actually mm -hmm. think it is. But it's just, we don't talk about it as often cause we've kind of just yeah. been told to push it under the carpet and forget about it and move on which is not how it goes. Yeah. Well, it's because, I mean, I don't know the actual stats, but such a large percentage of miscarriages happen in the first trimester. And that's why people wait till week 14 or whatever to tell people. Um, but then depending on who they share the news with or not share the news with, then like, they're not going to be like, well, I was pregnant, but now I'm not. Like, and I think it's really important. Like I told my best friend and I told my sister, um that I was pregnant and then I remember like you know sitting on my bathroom floor like sobbing texting them and so it was really nice to have that support system but there are so many people that go through it and it's not until you experience it and you share it that you're like oh my like grandma had a miscarriage or my aunt had a miscarriage or my best friend like not your best friend you probably know about that but you learn about people that had them but you had no idea because people just don't talk about them yeah no it's very true um and yeah thank you for sharing that so when mm -hmm. you um you said when you got pregnant with Thea you were very anxious the first two months what do you think what what do you think ended the anxiety after two months was that the ultrasound uh, yes I think I had a lot of anxiety up until that first ultrasound at five weeks that I didn't go through with um, which is, you think it would be the one, I think it was like seven or eight weeks that we actually had the ultrasound, but like getting to that point of just actually like voicing my anxiety and voicing like my fear took like a big weight off of me. So saying like, no, I'm like really anxious and nervous and scared. Like, I don't want to do this. Uh, and then at, at that point, after that point, you know, they can hear the heartbeat and the Doppler. So every time you go into your midwife or your doctor, it's just a quick little like, oh, yep, there they are. And thankfully, like I never, like throughout my entire pregnancy with him, it they always found his heartbeat right away, which I'm very grateful for because I know um, my sister with her son, at one point the OB couldn't find uh, my nephew's heartbeat. And so they had to like send her in for an ultrasound and like everything was okay, but like that was a couple hours of like fear and anxiety. Um, but I would say, yeah, it was kind of in between those two ultrasounds that I was like, okay, you know what, that, that miscarriage was a past experience. Like this is a new sperm, new egg, new baby. Like it's all going to be okay. Like you, there's no reason that you're not meant to have a, a child because 
when we were trying and it wasn't happening, I just had such, the, maybe fear isn't the right word, but I had this sadness that I wasn't going to get to experience pregnancy and I wasn't going to get to experience like birth. Like I was so, so excited to give birth and go through labor. And like, yes, there's, you know, many other beautiful ways you can bring children into your life, but there was something about being pregnant and like giving birth myself that I really wanted. And so I just had this sadness that like, there was a chance I wasn't going to experience that. Um, but yeah, I, sorry, I kind of went off track. Um, yeah, no, I think what you're saying is totally accurate. Um, I, I've talked to several people, so I have endometriosis and part of the endo community, we always are in the back of our head thinking about, are we ever going to get the chance to actually go Mm. pregnancy and birth? So I know exactly where you're coming from, but I'm glad that you were able to take your miscarriage experience and <clears throat> understand that that was a different experience than your pregnancy with Theo. It mm-hmm. was separate that so you could enjoy a bit of the pregnancy and the birth and all of that with it. Yeah, it was nice to be able, and I know not everyone's in that position, but to, it was good to be able to let go of that and just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. you worked with a midwife. So how did you actually find out about, um, I'm always curious, how did you find out about having a midwife for your uh, oh gosh I watched the business of being born back in college like I've seen it so many times and so I always knew that I wanted a midwife um and so I mean years before I even like kids were on my mind I knew of like different midwife clinics (laughs) in my area (laughs) I looked those up and so um I knew of like a particular midwife clinic um, and birth center here in Des Moines, but then it was actually my best friend who went through a midwife clinic that was associated with a hospital. And she had a a phenomenal experience with them. And she always just like raved about the ladies there. And so when it came time for me, we decided to, we, me and my husband, Michael, like I, you know, was very much like, oh, I want to have like a home home birth, water birth, like light me some candles, like an incense and music. And that's what I want. And he was like, you know, I don't know how comfortable I feel with that. Like, can we, is there a happy medium between the two? And so we found this midwife clinic that was associated with the hospital. So I could like have the midwife, but also be at a hospital. So there was no like anxiety or fear with that. And I'm so happy that we went with them because I, I like connected with like all the secretaries, the receptionists, the nurses, the midwives, like all of them. And when I went through um, my miscarriage experience, like even though that was my first appointment, every nurse, every, like the midwife that I had my appointment with, the receptionist, like everyone was so just like caring through that experience, even though that was the first time they'd ever met me, that I remember like walking out of the clinic, being, you know, sobbing in tears and being like, you know, when the time comes, like, I want to go back, I want to come back here because it just felt so good. Um, And so I, I knew I wanted a midwife. I discovered that, that particular midwife clinic through my friend and I'm very, very happy with my experience. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm always curious how people find midwives because in the U.S., like, we have midwives, they're just not talked about enough. Most people mm-hmm. they're OBGYN. And I also like that you um, said that you did it in a hospital setting with a midwife, because I don't think a lot of people realize that as well. I think when people think midwives, if they even 
think about it at all. They're thinking home yeah. is like scary, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. not what it is, but you actually have the option of doing it in a hospital with a midwife and you had a great experience. Yeah, I did. And it was, I mean, it was the best of all worlds because I went into my birth experience, you know, wanting, uh, you know, trying for a natural birth, but being like open because through friends and family having kids and like through, I mean, I watched so many birth vlogs <laughs> and birth videos that like, I knew that it's good to have a plan and it's good to like have things that you want to happen, but to not be so set on a plan that when things change or have to change that you're then like heartbroken and scarred by that experience. So I was like, these are the things I want. If that can happen, that would be great. But like in the end, like I just want everyone to come out. I want to have the best experience I can out of it. And I mean, that's exactly what I got. How was your pregnancy with Theo? Um, obviously after the two months, um, how was everything leading up mm-hmm. to the labor and birth? I mean, I had such an easy pregnancy. Um, I would say like once I got past the anxiety, I mean, the first trimester is I just get nauseous and am exhausted, um, but I never threw up. So that was nice. <laughs> and then um, the second trimester is where it's at. And honestly, up until like the last month of pregnancy, and then you're just like so pregnant <laughs> that you like have all these aches and pains and stuff. But I I don't know. I had a really, really good pregnancy with him. Um, I think besides like the first trimester, like not feeling the greatest, the only thing that bugged me about pregnancy was um, I'm so used to having like a menstrual cycle and being in tune with the kind of like highs and lows of energy um, to like, you know, take a break around your period, but then your energy comes back and you're super creative, you're outgoing and you don't have those like waves when you're pregnant. It's just a very like baseline, you know, just mellow. And so to not have those like bursts of energy and inspiration was really hard for me. Um, Cause I just like, I felt very uninspired and like unmotivated for work while I was pregnant and it really bugged me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, because that's the thing is with our menstrual cycle, you kind of learn that depending on where you are in your cycle, what hormones are being produced the most mm-hmm. and work according to that. So how did you find, like, did you try to just work alongside with your pregnancy? Did you try to cut back with work? Um, how did you end up dealing with that? Um, I would say definitely kind of, my energy, I'd say, came back a little bit starting my second trimester. Um, but I knew that I wanted to have three months of content ready to go and like scheduled to post and everything for once he came because I wanted to like allow myself a break because I didn't know what being like a mother was like and having a newborn and how hard it was going to be. So I wanted to like set that up for myself so I could have like a quote unquote maternity leave. Um, so I definitely listened to my body and if I needed to take a nap, I took a nap, like the last month or two of pregnancy, I worked from bed because like my ribs and my back hurt. Um, and that was the only place I could like prop myself up in a comfortable position. So I would just bring like my laptop and like my notebook and everything up to my bedroom and like knock out some work. Um, but I, I think learning, learning about my cycle and charting everything has made me much more aware of my body and I've, I'm a lot better at listening to what my body needs and like allowing myself to slow down um, because I know that if you just push, 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 you're going to like end up, you know, hitting a breaking point and then it's going to take you 10 times as long to recover 
than if you would just give yourself a break every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that, that you had to like adjust, but eventually you got a little energy back. Yeah. You find a new like flow and rhythm and like how you can get stuff done. And I mean, it's the same with having the actual kid and like how you have to work around and create a whole new schedule and everything. Yeah. And so I know you've told your birth story on YouTube. I won't make you tell the whole thing. (laughs) But I was wondering, did you originally have a birth plan when you went into uh, the hospital? Because I know you stayed home for a little bit and then the midwives, Mm -hmm. if you're still talking, like you don't need to come in yet. Yeah. (laughs) So I knew that I wanted to like labor at home as long as possible. And thankfully we live like six minutes away from the hospital. Um, but I also knew that I didn't want to be in a position where I was like miserable for that short car ride. Um, so yeah, I knew I wanted to labor at home as long as possible. I knew I wanted to try for a natural birth. And like, I had it in my mind that I don't want to go to the hospital until I'm six centimeters. (laughs) And that's exactly what I was when I went to the hospital. So I somehow manifested that. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really have, like, I never, I probably did actually write out a birth plan, but I never, like, turned it into my midwives or anything. I just said, like, I want to try for a natural birth, um, but I want to have a baby. So that's just kind of the mindset I went into. Like, you know, I want to do skin to skin right away. I want to try to breastfeed right away. Um, yeah, that's kind of what my plan was. <laughs> <laughs> And you knew that the midwives had your best intentions anyway. So I guess mm-hmm. helped you. Like, I guess I don't really need to show them this because I know either way they're going to give me yeah. what I want. Yeah. Well, and anytime like at appointments where, you know, I'd bring something up like, I don't know. I don't even know. I can't think of an example. Like skin to skin, for example. Like, yeah, everyone does skin to skin now. But anytime I brought up something that I thought like, maybe they'd be like, oh, I don't know. We'll see if we can do that. They're like, oh, we just do that anyway. Oh, like delayed cord clamping. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, I want to do this. And they're like, don't worry. We like, we wait this long and make sure like it's all pumped through and everything. So like anytime I like brought something up, they're like, oh, we already do that. So it was just another instance of like us being on the exact same page. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I remember you also saying that um, you ended up getting an epidural, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Was that decision hard for you or was that something that you were pretty content with at, at that point? <laughs> um, so I was always terrified of epidurals because I just, I don't like needles. And so it was more the like fear of the needle of the epidural that, you know, made me not want to get one than like actually getting an epidural. And so I, like I, like I've said, I wanted to try for natural birth, but then, um, I labored for a while in the shower and then I labored in the, in the tub. And I think maybe I got too hot. Um, and so his heart rate spiked for like a certain amount of time. And so they were like, okay, let's get you out of the tub without like telling me that like, oh, we're concerned about him. Um, and so there was kind of the like fear of that. They, no one told me, but like if his heart rate didn't come down at a certain point, like you know, they at, finally at some point mentioned like, oh, you know, C-section could be on the table. And I was like, well, that's like the absolute last thing I want. And so the goal was like to get me back to a place to where I was like laboring calmly because it ramped up from like zero to 60 um, at a certain point. And I was so tense that I wasn't like, I had just like, I stalled my own labor in a way. 
Um, and so getting the epidural allowed me to like relax enough to like continue laboring on. And then I say, I think I got the best of both worlds because I got a labor at home for, you know, along like the entire day, I got a labor at the hospital naturally. And then I had the epidural and I was actually able to be present for his birth because I was tunnel vision um, for several hours at the hospital because it was just, you know, make it through this contraction, like, you know, rest, make it through the next contraction. And I wasn't experiencing, experiencing labor. Like I, I, you know, it was somewhere else. So the epidural allowed me to like rest for a little bit and then be there and be conscious when he was actually born. So I think I'm very, very happy with my decision to get one. Yeah. And at the time I was like, I, I think I said to Michael, because they, they put it on the table and they're like, we're going to let you talk about it and we'll come back in, you know, a couple minutes. And so they left and Michael immediately was like, just get it, Victoria. Like, you know, and I was like, you know what? I'm fine. Like, I'm going to get it. Like, I don't have to be anyone's hero. I'm not here to like prove something. Like I wanted a natural birth, but like, this is where it's going to be. And I'm happy with that. Like, let's get the epidural. And it was immediately like, uh, just such a relief. They're like, okay, we're going to like prop you up this certain way because a little bit of your cervix is left and we'll come back in two hours and you sleep for a little bit and then we'll start pushing. And it was, it went from like chaos and pain to just like a very calm, relaxing environment. And then I was like, okay, it's time to have your baby. <laughs> and so it was, I don't know, it was a very beautiful experience. Yeah. And it must've been so nice after laboring that whole time to finally just like <laughs> to relax and not be in so much pain and be present. Like, okay, I'm getting ready to have a baby and <laughs> getting ready to yeah. welcome my child into the world. So I can definitely understand why that would have helped so much. Yeah. And it was also very interesting because the whole day I was convinced I wasn't in labor. I remember that. And so in my mind, I was like, this isn't labor, Victoria. And like, if you stop moving, if you stop like walking or bouncing, like it's going to stop. And I mean, I think I was only like two days past my due date at that point, but they had scheduled my induction for, I don't know, a week and a half later. And I didn't want to get induced. Um, so I was like, I've got to make this like labor happen. And so I remember like, calling Michael and like texting him and be like, I don't think this is real, but this is what's going on. And then like, by the time he came home, he's like, oh my gosh, Victoria, like, what are you doing? Like, you're absolutely in labor. I'm like, no, this isesn't real. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to make my body go into labor. And so I think instead of like trying to have like peaceful, breathe through it, like stay calm, like work through the contractions. I was like trying to like ramp up the contractions and make them as painful as possible, but you live and you learn. <laughs> And that's one of the other things I wanted to ask you. Did you get your, um, was it membrane stripped before that? Yeah, I got it stripped that morning. So I went in for my 40-week appointment, and she um, checked to see if I was dilated because I hadn't been, you know, checked up until that point because I think at my 39-week appointment, I was like, I, like, I don't want to know where I am. If I go into labor, I go into labor, but I don't want to, like, either – feel let down that I'm not dilated to a certain amount or, you know, think that it's going to happen tomorrow and it could take another week. So I waited until 40 weeks. And so she, while she was in there, she was like, well, you're four centimeters. I don't think you're going to like, you know, go many more days. And then she was like, do you want me to, you know, strip your membranes? And I was like, yeah, go for it. Um, and so immediately after that appointment, I started feeling crampy. Um, 
and like I think my labor I think that was like at 8 a.m and then I'm pretty sure I went into labor at like 10 a.m but like I said I didn't think it was labor so (laughs) I went to the hospital at 6 p.m I think that night okay cool and when you were in the hospital when you have a hospital birth with midwives how many midwives do you actually have that are present So normally it's one, but I got two for one because one of my midwives was newer to the practice. And so she kind of had an, you know, an older midwife or more um, seasoned midwife kind of watching over her. So I had the newer one was actually one that, I don't know, birthed my child. I don't know what the proper term is. It's not coming to me, but she like, you know, helped me through labor and the other one was just kind of there. Um, But they didn't really do anything until it came time to like, push I mean they were trying to they're like okay let's try these different like relaxing techniques and let me like push on your back and your hips and I was like I don't want any of it (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking but they were like nope we're gonna do this and obviously it felt very good but they were just like very calm they like let me do my thing they're like absolutely you can labor in the shower and yeah let's fill up the tub for you sort of thing um but they were great so it's normally one but I got two that's great. Yeah. And I love that they were just letting you do what you needed to do. You're like, nope, this is what I want to do now. This is not what yeah. <laughs> so it's good. Well, and it's so, so I was in the tub and that's when like they were concerned about his, his heart rate. And so they're like, you know, calmly trying to get me out of the tub without like freaking me out. And I was like, I think I need to go to the bathroom. And they're like, oh, we really want to get you like into the bed and hooked up. But they're like, sure. Yeah. You try to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so they let me sit on the toilet for a couple of minutes. And I was like, no, I think, I think it's just like, I need to, I think it's just the baby, <laughs> but they were great. Yeah, that's great. And um, so after you gave birth, did you, cause I remember you saying that you wanted to have, you know, the delayed uh, cord clamping. You also wanted to, mm-hmm. did you get to have that experience uh, after you gave birth? Yeah. So they like, he came out, they put him on me um, and I got to do, I don't, I don't remember like the time line of all of it but I got to do skin to skin afterwards I got him to latch right away um and you know it was probably at least an hour of that if not more and then they came in eventually and like weighed him and all that sort of stuff but yeah he he was fine so I was able they like you know did the like cord clamping let me do lots of skin to skin let me breastfeed right away and like let me do all the things so that was really nice yeah and so after how long were you in the hospital after birth? So you get two nights in the hospital, but since he was born at 3 a.m., I got two nights after that. So I was there for a total of three nights. Um, so I left, yeah, so three nights total, two full days. But you're, <laughs> once you have a baby, you're like, oh my God, there's this tiny human. I don't know what I'm doing absolutely I'm gonna let these like experienced nurses help me and like show me again how to swaddle him and so we were like do we have to leave you guys are so nice and all the nurses and they were all just so fantastic that I could have just stayed there for a long time (laughs) that's great and so then you finally got home and I just wanted to ask what was or what has postpartum been like for you Coming home was the weirdest thing because we came home and like my husband had taken, you know, scheduled his time because he owns his own business as well, but he had like scheduled all of his time so he could take, you know, like a week or two off. I think it was two weeks. 
And we fully expected Theo to come early, but he came two days late. And so he had to go back to the office because he had like a big race coming up. And so it was just like me and this tiny human. And it was just, I mean, it was so weird, but it was so natural. Um, postpartum was a shock. I definitely didn't expect, like I knew things were gonna change, but it definitely kind of like slapped me in the face that I was now, like I didn't have the freedom and independence that I was so used to. Like I couldn't just jump on my bike and go ride to a coffee shop. And to kind of feel left out, there was like, you know, several situations in which like, I just wanted to like go be with a group of friends or something like that. Or like I had to leave early to go, you know, care for him or he wasn't happy. So I needed to go like feed him in the car or something. And so there was a lot of times of just crying because I just, I could feel that my life had changed in such a significant way. And that was like a hard change for me. Um, but I would say postpartum wise, I didn't, besides that like change to like motherhood, um, it took me probably like two weeks to heal. And I would say like the first week I was very, very sore and I cried a lot because I was like, my vagina hurts so bad and like just so tender. Um, and just to like watch your body kind of like morph back to normal, but like in a different way. And then your milk comes in and there's just so much change that's happening in your body and the hormonal changes too and not sleeping. And I would say like postpartum is hard. And whenever I see like new moms who are like pregnant with their first and they're like really pregnant, I'm always like, oh honey, I just wish I could like help you with what's coming because <laughs> it's so hard. But it's like you find your groove and you find your rhythm and you figure it out and the baby continues living and you and it just kind of goes on and then it gets easier and easier and they start sleeping more and then you have a one-year-old and it's crazy <laughs> and how did you take care like you said your vagina was just hurting how did you take care of your vagina and your nipples with breastfeeding and everything else that was happening like how did you yeah. take care of this small human on top of caring for your body and your like emotional state at the same time yeah, so thankfully, like, I never had, like, cracked bleeding nipples. Like, I, when I first started breastfeeding, it was definitely, like, tender, and there were, like, moments when he'd first latch that it was, like, oof, but, like, that went very smoothly for me. Besides, like, um, when your milk comes in, you get super engorged, and your boobs are, like, boulders, and they feel like they're gonna explode, um, but I, you know, pulled out the uh, manual like hand pump that my friend gave me and like you could just release a little bit to like get rid of the pain but not mess with your milk supply um and then as far as like postpartum care tux pads I don't know if you've ever heard of those but they're essentially like little witch hazel soap cotton pads and so I would just I lived in the like mesh postpartum underwear for like two weeks um, I like took a pack of them from the hospital. And so I'd have my mesh postpartum underwear, like my football diaper size pad. And then I would just line it with those like hazel, witch hazel um, cotton rounds. And I had like a numbing spray that I would spray. And you just had to be very diligent. Like every time you went to the bathroom, you had to use the Perry bottle. I almost forgot what it's called because um, you can't wipe and so you have to spray it and then you like change out your like witch hazel pads and 
I think if you just like, if you kept up on it, oh, and I also took, oh, what was it Advil? So some just like pain reliever like that. And I remember leaving the hospital and I was like, oh, do we have this at home? Cause I didn't even think about it. And Michael's like, yeah, I'm sure I have some in the medicine cabinet. Well, we got home and he didn't have any. And so like my pain medication wore off. And that's like, I remember just laying on the couch and being like, it hurts so bad. And he like ran to the store really quick and got it. And so I just like keeping up on it. It just, it eventually slowly gets better. Yeah. And how long did it take until um, your like vagina pain finally soothed out? I would say like the first week was bad. The second week wasn't like great, but then after that it got better. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember looking down like right after I'd given birth and I was like, dear God, (laughs) because it's so just swollen. You're like, Oh my God, what's going on. Um, but I actually had a third degree tear almost fourth degree. Um, so I had some like healing to do. But at my six-week appointment, my widow was like, oh, it looks great. Everything's healed up perfect. Like, the stitches are gone. Like, so thankfully, it all healed up nicely. Um, I think I was going to go see a pelvic pelvic floor physical therapist um, because once my period came back, I realized that, like, my menstrual cup didn't fit me anymore. And then, like, I got the bigger size, and that still didn't fit. And so I was like, I, sometimes if I push myself too hard, like I'll have, I I guess you consider like pelvic floor, like discomfort or pain, kind of like similar to the pain, not, not pain, like discomfort from like healing. So like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go like, check it out because I know in other countries, like that's kind of routine and normal for people to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist, but that's not normal here. But then COVID hit and I was like, well, I'm not going to go into the doctor. So someday I'll go in, but it's not anything that's like super concerning at this, this time. I just want to make sure that it's all okay because your body goes through some stuff for giving birth. (laughs) And yeah, it's so true about public floor physical therapy. I did it, but I did mine for Volvodynia. But when I moved back to Australia, I didn't realize it was so routine. Like after you get birth mm-hmm. and you're all healed up, you go to the public floor physical therapist to make sure everything's working. And in the U.S., like, it's not. Nope. You get your one, yeah, six-week postpartum checkup and they're like, see ya, like, yeah. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think so many women just have, yeah, public floor issues after birth. And so I knew that it was normal in other countries and not here. And so it was kind of something that I knew I wanted to do, but then I didn't get around to it (laughs) in time and also I wanted to ask when you have a midwife did you first see the midwife again at the six-week mark or was did you see them anytime before that um I I didn't go see them until the six-week mark but it was kind of always if if you're worried about something or if some you know if you need to see us we're here but I I was fine up until that point yeah, no, it's good. Just curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the other questions I wanted to ask you is um, now that Theo's older, you just did a YouTube video talking about identity and motherhood, which I think is something mm-hmm. really, really important to talk about. Cause I see this a lot with moms here that I nanny with is they feel like they have to give 100%. And then at the end mm-hmm. of the day, there's nothing left. And then they're just like, what am I even doing? <laughs> and yeah, who, who am I? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk to you a bit about, about that. Like where, when did that start and how have you managed to 
figure out that you're you're a mom but you're also a partner you're also victoria and you also have all these different mm-hmm. hobbies that you're allowed to enjoy yeah i mean i i always knew i wanted to be a mother but i also knew that i wanted to have like I, an identity outside of just being a mom like i didn't want to just I didn't want that to be my identity and like I'm so grateful for Theo and I love him and like being a mom is so rewarding um but I know myself and I know like I need other outlets in life um and so especially when thanks to coronavirus like I already dealt like a bit with social social isolation I always like mash that together so social isolation <laughs> um just like being a new mom um and then coronavirus hit and I just felt so secluded and then I am this type of person I think every mom is guilty of it of just saying like oh no it's fine like I can just do it myself like I can do everything myself and I definitely had this misconception that like I could do it all like I could be this great mom I could be this business owner and like this wife and this friend and everything and it's just like you don't have the same amount of time um but especially recently just in like the past month I've really I like came to a head and I'm like I'm not, I remember crying in the shower and I'm like, I'm not having fun. Like this, life's not fun right now. It's not fulfilling. I'm not getting to do the things that like nourish me. Um, And I just felt like I was getting through the days and I was like, this obviously isn't sustainable, Victoria. We need to figure it out. And so I focused on the things that I had control of. And so I started getting up before Theo and making time like in the morning to like drink a hot cup of coffee and journal and you know, do some yoga. And then I've just recently started like, instead of watching Netflix or like scrolling to my, through my phone up until the time that I'm like, oh, I should probably go to bed. It's like, no, like read a book. Cause you really used to like reading and like do your skincare and journal. And so I'm, I'm realizing that like, yes, my amount of time is different now that I'm a mom, but you still have a set amount of time in the day. And you need to look at what you're giving your time to And so I think just with being a mom and with coronavirus, there's this need for interaction and there's need like socializing with people. And like, if you can't get that by going out and seeing friends and family, you try to get that through social media and that can be like a slippery slope because there'll be days where you're like, well, I just spent two hours scrolling through my phone and I feel exhausted and I don't feel like happy and I don't feel like that gave me anything. So it's just, I mean, it's definitely been a learning experience, but I love, I love self-improvement. I love like tweaking my routines and my habits. Um, and when they do work out and I do, you know, notice a positive change, I always feel just even better because I'm like, I did this all myself. So I think it has been difficult because there's only so much time in the day. Theo doesn't go to daycare. Um, and so I watch him, but then I also am trying to, you know, keep fam head afloat and do that. But then I wasn't feeling inspired with any of my content that I wanted to make for fam head. And so it was just in such a slump, but I've kind of gotten myself together and reinvigorated the flame and it feels really good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And like you said, it's kind of, you have to try to remind yourself, like, okay, what did I really enjoy before baby? Mm. Like you said, you love journaling, yeah. 
you loved reading and you weren't doing any of it and you're right social media is such a slippery slope because <laughs> you can yeah. sit there and easily just keep scrolling and just scrolling and then you've wasted 30 minutes to an hour just scrolling through your phone and got nothing out of it so yeah yeah I think those are all really good tips about figuring out you know what did you enjoy before and how can you tweak your schedule a bit so that you have your own freedom and it must have also mm -hmm. been difficult to have self-isolation um with the baby for as long as we've had to deal with covid mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's because like when you have a newborn you're like okay i gotta protect them because they have a, no immune system so it's like make sure everyone washes their hands like don't come over if you're sick and then it was like flu season and then it was coronavirus so it's like i've been you know for however many months i was trying to like keep him safe and then it was like oh well global pandemic and now we're all in this but yeah yeah do you feel like you're in a better place now with since you've started the like reading before bed and getting up early before he gets up yeah, I do feel like I'm in, in a better place because I, like you said, I took a look at what did I do before Theo that I miss and like what were the things that I felt like, you know, like nourished my soul and like reading and journaling, like morning pages, all those sort of things, just having like very calm moments. And like, I, I love mornings. I love like getting my cup of coffee and journaling. And it's just like, you can do that, Victoria. Um, and I think another thing with, like becoming a mom and your identity and stuff you have this this guilt almost that like I have to do it all like I can't ask for help and I have to have like my friend who's also a mother remind me like you can ask for help Victoria like you don't have to do it all yourself like you don't have to be the hero you don't have to try like who are you trying to prove this to you know ask ask for help <laughs> and and people are more than willing to help Yes, I think you're so right. I see that so much. Like you said, there's so much guilt and feeling if you can't do it all, but you shouldn't mm -hmm. have to do all of it by yourself and you don't have to, that you always have a support system around you somewhere. Yeah. And even if it's just venting to someone, like there's always someone out there. And so like knowing, knowing your people that you go to that if you need to like, you know, vent or cry and the people that you're like, can you just come and push them in the stroller for an hour? Like, I just need a mm -hmm. break. Or, you know, I am definitely feel like I need to be the one that like, if he's cranky, like I need to entertain him or I need to get him something. But I've definitely kind of like let go of some of that responsibility because it's like, I didn't have a baby myself. Like there's another person involved in all this. And so being like, can like, can you take him for a walk? Can you like, can you go get him out of bed? Can you put him down for bed? Can you give him the bath? And so it's just like, oh yeah, of course I want to help out. But if like, I just automatically jump and go do it, then like, I'm not giving him the chance to, you know, be the father. Yeah. And like you said, it's a two, two player game. We have a baby. Yeah. So. I did not make this baby yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. And I also wanted to ask you, are you charting again postpartum? Yeah. So I, I, my like postpartum charting journey was like a bit different because you don't sleep normal hours when you're postpartum until your child like starts sleeping longer stretches. And I kind of, I was just very careful in the beginning um, until the point to where like I could consistently get my temperature, but I was always tracking my fluid because I knew 
that like your cervical fluid is the greatest indicator of like returning fertility. But I also, how old was he? I think he was like 10 weeks old when I got my first period. And so like my cycle came back right away, even though it was like breastfeeding and everything. So I was also grateful for that. I know some people are like, well, I get a break for my period when I'm pregnant, when I'm breastfeeding, um, I don't have to deal with it. But I was like, no, I want mine to come back because then I know what's going on and I can have this like gauge of what's happening. So it was definitely like different um, because I was postpartum. Um, but I, def I started charting my fluid, you know, once I stopped my postpartum bleeding. And then once I was getting more consistent, regular sleep, I started tracking my temperature. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad that you've gotten back into that. And is mm -hmm. it a different type of charting or is it the same charting you were doing before? Um, so before you get your cycle back, it's a different type of charting. Um, there is definitely a misconception that if you're breastfeeding that you that like that's birth control, but it's not because I was exclusively breastfeeding him like every two hours, like two to four hours. And I got my period back at 10 weeks. And like you ovulate before you get your period. So there's the chance that you can get pregnant again without ever having a period. Um, so I just tell people to keep an eye out for their cervical fluid. But I, from the moment I stopped like my postpartum bleeding, I just had a lot of fertile quality fluid. So I'm like, mm, I'm not going to mess around with this and we're just going to play it safe. Um, but it was good to have that knowledge you know, before having him, because I think a lot of people first discover charting when they're trying to get pregnant. And so they don't have a ton of experience before getting pregnant. And then there's some women that want to learn how to do it after they've had their baby. They're like, oh, I've, you know, I've just started again. And it's, it's hard. It's, I think it's harder to learn postpartum than to have that like base of knowledge before having a baby. Yeah, that makes sense, because also you you were charting your cycle for so long, you kind of know what your body's pattern is as well, like what your fertile cervical fluid looks like, what's like a temp like typical um, temperature shift for you, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. And one of the last questions I have for you is, what advice do you have for new um, mothers, whether that has to be with, you know, working from home and having baby at home, dealing with postpartum in general, what would your advice be? Uh, I always tell people like what you're experiencing, you're not alone. Like, even though you feel isolated because, you know, you're not seeing your friends as much, you're not seeing your family as much. Like there are so many other women that are going through the exact same th thing. Um, and also like, it's all like, it's just a phase, whatever the difficult thing is that you're going through, it's just a phase, like not getting any sleep because they're waking up at night to feed. That's just a phase, like the four month sleep regression is just a phase. Um, and so I, I look at it as like, you know, I just have to get this and this isn't, I'm not going to not be sleeping for the rest of my life. Like he's going to eventually start sleeping. Um, he's teething right now. So he's a little crank and it's like, he's not going to be teething forever. Like his teeth are eventually all going to be in <laughs> and it'll be great. Um, and then I would say like, have your support system, have those like friends that have kids and like, or have your friends that don't have kids. So you can like have conversations about something besides your children, because I think that's important too. Um, and ask for help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think those are all really good. And thank you so, so much for coming on. Absolutely. This is fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad that you came on. And honestly, you've been a major idol of mine. So thank you for all the work Aww. you do. And it's been amazing getting a chance to talk to you.
Yeah, absolutely. We want to thank Victoria so, so much again for coming on and talking about all of the things. It's an absolute honor to be able to interview her after following her for years. And I also want to say I really appreciate her talking about her miscarriage experience. With October being Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, we've been seeing more of the stories on Instagram, and it breaks my heart that this is so common, but I'm really glad that we're getting to a point where we can feel comfortable talking to others about this experience because it is common and it happens to a lot of people and a lot of people grieve in silence. I also appreciate that Victoria talked about the aftermath of miscarriage and actually getting pregnant again and the anxiety that actually carries over when you're pregnant again after going through such a significant loss. So if you're interested in finding Victoria, you can find her at femhead.com or you can find her at femhead on YouTube and on Instagram. And we will see you all next week. Bye.